Good morning, everybody. Let us pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is read to us right now as we've listened to it, and we're going to look at it together and pray that your spirit will open our hearts and our minds and that we will respond uh, to your word in a way that will glorify you. We thank you for the comfort and strength and uh, the peace that we can gain from reading the words that Jesus said and looking at what he did in this chapter. May that be our portion this morning. We look to you in faith, trusting you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's been quite a week. An earthquake, violence in the streets of Melbourne, a diplomatic row with France. Melbourne reached its, uh, the world record of the longest lockdown ever. And the demons won. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for you demon fans. The Ds, I mean. I don't like calling them demons. Anyway, what could be worse? Well, one word. Death. The death of a loved one especially. And I know that this church has been deeply moved by the knowledge that Debbie Fisher has passed into the presence of her Lord. And it's very real. And there are family and friends grieving because of this. This chapter deals with the awful reality that we all face at some point, and that is death. Marg and I have two daughters, and six months ago, next weekend, six months ago, our youngest daughter in her early 40s died. We woke to the awful news, the devastating news that Kim had died. And uh, it's been a tough six months, I can tell you. And there's times, and this is the thing about death every day, you think about it, the, there's times on special days like her birthday and random times you hear a song and you remember her and you face the reality that death is permanent in terms of this life anyway. And so looking at this chapter, I'm talking about death, but I'm also hoping that it doesn't cause too much of a problem for you and I because of the pain that we face because of death. If I open up a wound that you have because of a loved one who has passed away some time back, it's still very real. But I'm praying that there will be a balm and there is a balm in this passage that will give peace and will smooth that wound and uh, encourage you and give you comfort at this time. We see that Jesus is Lord of life, and that's why I've entitled the message, He is Lord of life, because that's exactly the way he presents himself in this chapter. He's the conqueror of death. Death is the last enemy we read in 1 Corinthians 15 that we face. It's the, the great enemy of the human race. And the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 12 uh, that sin, as sin, came into the world through one man 
and death through sin. So death spread to all humans since all have sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. The Bible says it's, it's our sin, it's the sin of the human race that is brought in this issue of death. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden and, and God said, the day you eat thereof, you will die. Well, the day they ate thereof, they didn't physically die. That was many years later, but they died in terms of being separated from God. They were cast out from the presence of God. That's spiritual death. Then physical death came and the Bible talks about the second death, which is eternal death and separation from God. And that's the reason our Lord and Saviour came, not just to defeat death, but to defeat the cause of death, sin. And he died on the cross and rose again to defeat death and to defeat sin uh, by doing that. So this is the last great miracle that we have in this gospel prior to the wonderful miracle of his own resurrection, but the miracle that Jesus performed. And it's it's actually the climax of the growing faith of his disciples and those who followed him and listened and, and observed all that he did. Their faith grew stronger and stronger and stronger. And this miracle brought that faith to a, a real climax, but also it brought to a climax the unbelief of the not just the Pharisees, but others in, the, in that time who had observed and listened to Jesus, who uh, responded in unbelief. And we see that the Lord of life and glory here reveals his glory in this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. And he does it in three ways. The first part of the chapter we see, he, uh, we witness his sovereign control uh, in life, in all events. He was in control uh, nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing takes God by surprise. Uh, God makes no mistakes and he has a plan and a purpose. And so he, when Jesus was on the other side of the Jordan, miles away, down in the valley of the Jordan River, uh, the news came to him. Uh, I don't know how they found him. Maybe there was, uh, he had said where he was going to go. Uh, but anyway, they found him. And they told him the news that the one whom he loved was sick. And, you know, Jesus stayed two days. I imagine the disciples listening to that message and then watching Jesus say, all right, let's, let's go and uh, speak to those people over there. They're waiting for us to, to hear what I have to share with them and he continued in his ministry and he stayed two more days. He whom you love is sick. Actually, it's interesting because then John, who writes this under the inspiration of the Spirit, says that he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them and yet he stayed two more days. So there's that strong emphasis on the love that he had for this family and his providential staying there without responding. He could have responded like he did uh, in the miracle of the official 
who came to Jesus back in chapter 4 and said, my son is at the point of death. And Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the man went and found that the very time when Jesus said that, his son was healed. He could have spoken the word and Lazarus could have been immediately healed. But he didn't. You know, it's interesting, isn't it, that in life, we sometimes think God doesn't listen to us. Maybe it was like Mary and Martha felt helpless and, and when nothing happened and he didn't return, Jesus didn't come. The next day he didn't come. Four days later before he came. At times our prayers appear to be met by God's silence. It's true, isn't it? We pray and pray and something that's really important to us, we bring before God and, and it seems like he doesn't listen, but he does. He has sovereign control of all things. He knows the end from the beginning and he works out his plan. And if he had healed Lazarus, how much glory would that have been for him? It would have been something to bring God glory and bring him glory. But to raise him four days later from being dead all that time brought incredible glory and engendered greater faith in who he was. He had a plan. He knew what he was doing. And he has a plan in your life. He knows what he's doing in the circumstances that you face. He seems to be slow in responding, you think, to your prayers and to your concerns. Or he might feel that he's sort of distant. He's not. He knows. In fact, he knew that Lazarus had died. No one told him that. He knew. Jesus is in control. The Lord Jesus, the God of creation, the God of the universe in a person walking among them was in control. And he's in control of the circumstances of your life. Then we see his promise. See, Martha, when she heard that Jesus had made his way back up to um, Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, I've been there uh, to Bethany and seen uh, the, uh, the, the uh, town where they lived. And as Jesus was on his way and, and, and just about there, Martha heard. And so she ran out to where he was. And it says that um, she went and met him. And she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I don't know what the tone was in her words. Actually, Mary said exactly the same words when she came a little later to speak with Jesus. Exactly the same words. But when Mary came, she fell at his feet. But Martha, she came out with these words, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, the implication is four days ago, you could have healed him. But you didn't. But now it's too late and it's four days. Like it's, it's not just reviving someone who has passed 
and quickly reviving them and and, uh, raising them. But this is four days later and the body has begun to decompose. Hey, how, if you had just responded when you heard, why didn't you? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus responds with an amazing truth and a fantastic promise. The amazing truth he said is, This, I am the resurrection and the life. Then the promise is that he or she, whoever believes in me, even though they will live, even though they die, and those who live and believe in me will never die. Incredible promise. Those who live, But believe in me, even though they die, they will live. But then he says, those who live and believe in me will never die. And we know now, looking back into the, as we do into the New Testament and the rest of Scripture, that shows that when a person who is a believer puts their faith in Christ and becomes a a true born-again Christian, that the moment of death they pass from this life into the very presence of God. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So death is a gateway to life. All people live beyond death because the Bible teaches that. And there will be those who live in uh, after death in a place of separation from God and those who live in after death in a place of, in the presence of God. And so this incredible promise was uh, said, spoken to Martha. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And she said, I know that he'll rise again on the last day. And um, Martha's faith, however, then changed because after Jesus spoke about him being the resurrection and the life and that those who believe in him will never die, Uh, he then asked her, do you believe this? And her response was, Lord, I believe that you are the son of God. Her faith came to a whole new level. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. I believe that. She still didn't understand, but her faith moved from a doctrine of resurrection in the last day to a person who said, I am the resurrection and the life. And of course, we know that the story will go on to show that Jesus backed up his words with what he did. So we learn then that or we witness his sovereign, God's sovereign control, Christ's sovereign control in the circumstances that he faced and that they faced. Secondly, we witness his, I would call it genuine compassion. Mary came and fell at Jesus' feet, weeping, it says. Don't you feel for people when they weep over the loss of a loved one? 
And it's one of the hardest things in this lockdown is not to be able to put your arms around those who have lost a loved one and, and, and just show empathy and love. It's, it's all got to be digital except for a few people who can go to a service. It, it is so sad. We still haven't had our, our special memorial service for our daughter. We're waiting for the ashes are with her husband and the three uh, boys in New Zealand, and we're waiting for the opportunity for, to go over there and scatter her ashes and have the formal mor- memorial service of the family and friends. Don't you want to reach out to those who are grieving and, and, and you sense it when they weep? But Jesus shows his genuine compassion in two ways here. The first way is, Indignation. Huh? Yes, read it. In verses 33 and 38, we read, He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The word in the Greek, the deeply moved word, literally means to roar or to be like a horse that goes into battle and and, and it makes that sound, uh, it's that kind of noise that's a roar. It, it actually shows that it's enragement. God is enraged with death. Aren't you enraged when you see on the news or you hear that ISIS, when they used to do this, probably still do uh, if they still exist as ISIS, but anyway, they used to, behead the parents in front of the little children and then they'd kill the children. Aren't you enraged? Doesn't it make you boil? Jesus stood in front of a loved one, his friend. He loved him. And he saw the sisters who he loved crying. And he was enraged that death had brought so much Sadness into this world because of sin. Divine indignation. You get enraged when you see sex trafficking of little children, little girls and boys who are taken from their families in places like Thailand and, and made to work in such evil ways. Calvin said, talking of Jesus here in his indignation uh, at death and, and his being deeply moved and enraged and greatly troubled, he says, he, Jesus, advances as a champion prepared for conflict. That's the picture. He stood before the tomb, enraged. He was the champion. He was going to conquer death, and he did. The second uh, way that he showed genuine compassion was his grief. Here, God's heart is revealed. The smallest verse in the Bible, the largest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Oh, we need to take that on board. And realize 
That is God. God's heart. He weeps with us. It says he is in touch with the feelings of our infirmities in the book of Hebrews. He, he knows the feelings of our infirmities. He's in touch with that. He's, he experiences it himself. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the Bible says in, Hebrew, in um, Isaiah. He feels with us. He hurts with us. In Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. In Revelation 21, at the end of the Bible, we read, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Lord weeps with his people when we weep. That tells us so much about God. And it tells us so much about why Jesus came. He came, he came to deal with sin and deal with death. But he did it with a heart of passion and compassion. The third thing we learn in this chapter about Jesus and his response to death, we witness his, what I would call, com compelling command. And I use that word purposefully, compelling command. His command compels us to consider this one who spoke the word, Lazarus, come out. It compels us to say, who is this man who would speak to a corpse dead over four days? It'd been buried for four days. And prior to that, there was a period. So it was over four days that this man had been dead. And, and for someone to say, Lazarus, come out. And it happened. Compels us to ask why. Remember in creation. Who created? We find that all things were created by him, we read in Colossians and Hebrews. It talks about Jesus being the creator. He is the one who spoke the word and the worlds came into existence. He spoke. His word brought creation. And here his word brought resurrection. His word. That command reveals the power of Christ. His promises would be empty words. If he says, I am the resurrection and the life, anyone can say that. If he says, if you believe in me, even though you die, yet will you live. Anyone can say that. But when he then speaks to a person who's been dead four days and says, Lazarus, come forth, come out. And he does. The power of Christ. We read back in chapter 5 when you were looking at that together. Uh, we read in verses 25 and 28. The, the, speaking of Jesus, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. They'll hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection 
of judgment. His voice will raise all the dead. If Jesus stood at that tomb and said, not Lazarus come out, but just come out, then every dead person would have come out. (laughs) He said, Lazarus, come out. How how, How powerless we are when we're faced with death. But Jesus isn't. Jesus said, I am. I'm master over death. I'm the conqueror of death. In the presence of death, I'm sorry, in the presence of Jesus, death is robbed of its power and its terror. Hey, when you go to sleep at night, do you fear that you're going to go into a place where you have no control anymore? You can't control yourself waking up. You do, thankfully. But when you move from the threshold of alertness to sleep, then there's nothing you can do. But you don't fear that because you know that you're going to wake up. Or you guess 99.9% that you will. You need not fear death when you believe in Jesus. Because even though you wouldn't have experienced before and know that it's a reality in that sense, Jesus himself not only raised Lazarus, but himself from the dead and promises that he's the first fruits of all who sleep in Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? 1 Corinthians 15. Now imagine Jesus saying on this occasion, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, even though you die, you will live. And imagine him knowingly deceiving the people and and it wasn't true. Imagine saying that or himself being deceived. But no, it was real. Lazarus, come out. Then it reveals not just the power of Christ, but his command, Lazarus, come out, reveals the person of Christ. He said, I am. And there it is again. We've seen it in other parts of, of the, that we've gone, other chapters we've gone through. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life, he says here. I am, using the same uh, I am name of God. I am that I am, Jehovah God. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Only God can raise the dead. In John 5, verses 21 and 23, we read, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to to whom he pleases uh, to give it, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. And in 1 John chapter 5, we read, verses 11 and 12, God has given us eternal life, And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so we have here the person of Christ. He is God in flesh. And he gives his spirit to those who belong to him. And they will rise and be um, in his presence for eternity because of that. And the third thing we learn here um, 
from uh, this command is the, it reveals the hatred of the Pharisees. Now the cup of hatred was full and now it overflows. They, it says from that day on they made plans to put him to death and it was only a matter of a number of days after this that Jesus was crucified. This miracle was undeniable. <laughs> Why wouldn't they believe? Because they were blind and they were willfully unwilling to, ma uh, to make that belief uh, that was so obvious uh, to anyone who has uh, honest integrity and looks at the facts. There were, I mentioned two Sundays ago that there are three messianic miracles um, and, and uh, the one that we talked about there was a man born blind. And the three messianic miracles were regarded as only Messiah could perform those miracles. And, and it's interesting, I didn't mention at the time, but every time Jesus performed one of those messianic miracles where the Pharisees and everyone knew only Messiah could do those. Every time they respond in anger and, and opposition to him because it hits the nerve. It makes them realize that uh, I have to really think about this. Is he truly the Messiah? And it forces them to either believe or become hardened in their unbelief. And Jesus now does one that well, isn't a messianic miracle because no one thought that anyone could raise someone from the dead. Um, but obviously only God could do that. Anyway, we now want to finish up by saying this, that the Lord of life is Jesus and he gives life to all who put their faith in him. Jesus promises resurrection to all who trust in him. He says, those who believe in me, though they die, will live. And Jesus said to Mary, or to Martha, sorry, do you believe this? And he says it to you this morning as well. Do you believe this? There are two, in, uh, two inevitabilities in life. One is taxes and the other one is death. Now, Taxes have to be in by the 31st of October, I understand, in Australia. That's the date, the cut-off date, the taxes date. But the date of our death, we don't know. We might not wake up tomorrow. Are you prepared for that? We read in Psalm 139, All the days ordained for me are written in your book. God knows when that day will be. Jesus is coming again. And we read, finally, I want to finish with this. One day he will make another command. Remember, he spoke and commanded and Lazarus came out. And then we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. The dead in Christ 
will rise first. And that we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The one who spoke to Lazarus and Lazarus came forth, but he had to die again because that wasn't his resurrection body. Lazarus is going to hear that voice again. And so will I and so will everybody. If you're dead, you'll hear it if you're in Christ. And if you're alive in Christ, you'll hear it. And both the, those who have died and those who are alive at the time when Jesus comes back and commands, come forth. Lazarus will be there. I'll be there. You'll be there if you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Isn't that wonderful? We have hope. And it's real hope. It's not just some mythological rubbish. It's reality. In Christ, we have that hope. So rejoice in it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your living word. And thank you that your Lord, our Lord, and your Son, the Lord Jesus, was willing to come, moved with compassion and with uh, hatred of sin and hatred of death, wanting to deal with it. He came and was willing to suffer and die himself for our sins and to rise again to be our Savior and to promise us life eternal now and forever. We bless you. We worship you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.